0: Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. I am one of your co-hosts, Chris Bixby, and with me today is our other co-host, Matt Bingle, and our host, Jake Deffenbaugh. How are you both?
1: Doing great, doing great Chris. Doing great. How about you?
0: How you I am wonderful as well.
1: Wonderful. It's great to hear. So where do we have?
0: Our guest for today. He is a musician and singer-songwriter who uh it was who's the lead singer of the band the bad examples and is also the lead singer of the children's music group ralph's world and we're here to talk about both of those and some of the projects he's done with disney um his work with uh kellogg's and huggies we're to talk about a lot of those things and here he is ralph covert ralph how are you
2: hey guys i'm doing great thanks for uh, having me here
0: yeah, yeah we're
3: very excited to have you here
0: happy to have you on so to kind of kick the, to kind of kick this off, um, uh, I know I introduced you a bit already, but could you kind of uh, introduce yourself a bit and uh, what you do?
2: Sure, uh, I'm singer, songwriter, playwright, uh, children's book author, uh, composer, um, performer, producer. Uh, First kind of came to public attention in the the late 80s and in the 90s with my rock band, The Bad Examples. And we had a great run, toured coast to coast in America, toured over in Europe. Um, I also started playwriting then, uh, wrote Sawdust and Spangles and Streeterville, both of which won uh, Jeff Awards, which is a Chicago version of a Tony for Best New Work. And then I've also written a number of, children's musicals as well uh, which have been produced nationwide one of them's even run off broadway and oh, nice. uh, right around the 2000s i started uh, making um, i had been teaching some little kids music classes and it kind of blossomed into a career doing kids music and ralph's world uh, was born and kind of revolutionized kids music because before that no one had ever considered the idea of making kids music that the parents liked. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of seemed to me. And so it really blew up. And... Uh, uh, Grammy-nominated, ended up being on Disney for a while. Got to do lots of cool stuff with that. That's what kind of what sparked the kids' musicals. And uh, since then, I've just continued to do a little bit of everything. Do both of those projects. I also do stuff... Uh, as Ralph Covert, which is more acoustic based stuff. I do a lot of shows these days with a string quartet and acoustic guitar, which is a lot of fun. Um, and just get to continue to be creative and make new music and have a lot of fun.
1: Nice. nice, Awesome. So what was your background like and how do you grow
2: up? Um, my dad was an engineer. My mom was a ceramist and potter. Always had a workshop in the basement. Um, my youngest sister was borderline Down syndrome. So I think a lot of my parents' energy and focus ended up uh, on her. Uh, I just kind of was a very uh, creative um, kid, even from the earliest ages. I remember uh, a funny story is in second grade, it was career month. And every morning, one boy and one girl would go up in front of the class and say, when I grow up, I want to be a nurse. When I grow up, I want to be a fireman. And I said, when I grow up, I want to create things. And my teacher, who did not like me at all, said, no, I'm sorry, Scotty. They called me Scott then. I'm sorry, Scotty. You uh, you need to have a job. And I said, oh, well, when I grow up, my job will be that I create things, which kind of is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> One of those rare moments where I thought of the right singer at the right moment. Usually you think of it the next day. (laughs) 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 So then, you know, um, so I had a very, uh, you know, read tons and tons of books. I used to write songs constantly when I was a kid. I'd be making up little plays all the time as a kid, writing little, I read a lot, so I wrote my little books. I was, I was trying to write some novel or another, and I just always loved doing that. Um, and uh, I was always, I was always getting into some kind of trouble in school, but never for being a troublemaker. Always for um, <laughs> refusing to go along with authority, or just having some cockamamie idea that made perfect sense to me. And then, you know, I remember I got in trouble in kindergarten because I refused to paint the we were making caterpillar caterpillars for monarch butterflies out of egg curtains. And I refused to paint it the same color as all the other kids.
4: <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> and this oh, was
2: <laughs> back in the day. They they, they I got sent home because the teacher said, you need to do it? And I said no. <laughs> They're like <laughs> <to> <laughs> You're not. No, no, not the way mine looks. (laughs) Or in high school, I got in all all kinds of trouble in high school because I was on the student newspaper and I was always either doing some kind of an investigative journalist piece or I would do something like one day, um, because I was on the newspaper and because I was good at kissing ass with the advisor, I had a permanent laminated hall pass. So I was the only kid in the school that could go anywhere, anytime. Between classes, had a permanent hall pass. And one day, I, um, being kind of, I was in college, I turned out to be an English major. So this made perfect sense. I um, went around to all the bathrooms in the entire school and transcribed every piece of poetry on every bathroom wall in the the entire school and then did a literary analysis of them all, analyzing the kind of poetic rhythms that we're using, the most common rhyme schemes. Uh, which animals were used uh, metaphorically uh to compare people to to different animals um and just did it did, did an article a student newspaper <laughs> with all the bathroom poetry analyzed as if it was a a, a literary paper and I got in trouble for that
4: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, uh oh, crazy so
2: I was always, I was always pushing the air. There we
0: go. Uh, Oh, man. So
3: how were you inspired to get into the music industry?
2: When I went to, I always, like I said, I've been making up songs. I went to summer camp and um, my, as a little kid, my one year, my summer camp counselor, played um, side one of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper album incessantly, over and over and over and over again. <laughs> um, and he played the Beast Boys' Little Old Lady from Pasadena, the, the 45 of that. He played the side one of Sgt. Pepper's and Little Old Lady from Pasadena. And I just, by the end of summer camp, I knew what I wanted to do. I was, I had, was going to write songs and be a musician. I, I knew the, what the rest of my life was. Um, and the only confusing thing that came out of that is it took me, because I bought, I came home and the first thing I did is I bought a cassette copy of *Sgt. Pepper's*, and I was disappointed, confused. It took, took me years to figure out why the *Little old Lady from Pasadena* song wasn't on the album. <laughs> I assumed it was part of the same record because those are the, the songs he played. Side one of *Sgt. Pepper* and *The Little old Lady from Pasadena*. Um, so my copy didn't have the Beach Boys song on it, which was strange to me at the time. But other than that, I came home from camp and knew what I wanted to do with my life.
0: Awesome. <laughs> awesome.
1: awesome. So before Ralph's World, you founded the indie rock band, the, the Bad Examples. How did that come about?
2: Um, When I finished the end of college, I knew my, my three passions in college had really been acting and um, fiction writing. I went to the University of Iowa and did some of the, even as an undergrad, they let me do some graduate classes with the writer's workshop there um which was g- very generous of them um and and then music and songwriting so when i got to the end of college um uh and I'd even, i even even student taught I, was, I got an education certification as well because i thought maybe i'll you know do that as a as a as a backup plan got to the end of college and i'm like okay now well, what do i want to do and i really kind of i took um two, two three months and really thought hard about all the things I'd been pursuing and it kind of decided that I felt at that point in my life that I had more to say through music and songwriting than fiction writing and um, acting. Uh, Acting, you're often using other people's words and I really wanted to be creating my own narratives. Um, I felt like life experience wise, my life experiences maybe were more uh, could be more succinctly expressed in a song. I didn't think I had lived enough to really be a great novelist at that point, and so I decided that music was going to be my path. And so I got out of college, and then kind of came back home to my parents' house in the Chicago suburbs, and um, just started trying to figure out everything I could about what does it mean, and how do you how do you support how do you support yourself. As a musician, how do you, you know, how do you put a band together? How do you get booked in clubs? How do you do this? And so, um, it took me the next uh, two, three years to kind of figure a lot of those pieces out. Um, you know, I started I moved into the city and started playing solo acoustic gigs while well, I tried to figure out what does it mean to be a musician. How do you, how do you do this? You know, there's no it's not like I went to Berkeley or some music school where they say, here's how you put a band together. Here's how you book your band. It's not, and back then there wasn't the internet. You couldn't just look it up and say, well, here's how you do it. You, you really had to figure it out yourself yeah. and that's it. And so um, uh, by 1987, I graduated in 84 and by 1987, um, I put the first line of the bad examples together And almost immediately started, um, like within the same week as our first gig, I booked the band into a recording studio to both make a demo of the band that we could share to get gigs. But then I was always a big believer in having, because I'd always loved albums. I was always a big believer in having product, having something that if somebody loved the music, you could put it in their hands and say, here it is, make it part of your life. So we literally, uh, the Bad Examples first album, Meet the Bad Examples, we recorded the same week as our first gig. And then I literally, I, I Xeroxed the covers myself, duplicated the cassettes myself on my cassette, on a, on a dual deck cassette player. Um, and started, actually back in the early days and those are early Bad Example shows, uh, this was kind of before, the whole AIDS thing and the whole safe sex thing had really taken off. So condoms were very taboo. You could only get a condom at the drugstore and people didn't really talk about them. It was very, he just didn't mention it in polite company. So what I did was um, on every, because the band was the bad examples and that seemed kind of saucy, um, on every cassette, I taped a condom. So beginning of the night, I'd be selling a, a cassette with a condom attached and I found by the end of the night, you know, these bars were playing. I'd be selling a condom with a cassette attached. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that's great! No, so, man. now in, ter- in terms of the bad examples, did you uh, have any favorite songs that you sang with
2: them? Um, well, not Dead yet. Is probably our our most popular song was our biggest hit back in the day. The band Sticks actually did a cover of it. On it was at the time it was the only only song they'd ever recorded that they didn't write. Um, only cover song we ever did. Um, uh, um, but I mean, we, I wouldn't, couldn't say there's a favorite. We, we had, it was, it was really kind of maybe Beatley influenced, a good, me- good rock beat with, with, you know, good melodies and it, lyrics were about real people, real emotions, kind of, you know, I was an English major, so I. <laughs> I'm gonna be telling stories in my songs. Definitely, definitely.
3: So, with the bad examples, you got to tour with other bands, including Los Lobos, Lemonheads, and even BB King. Did you yeah. have any favorite?
2: Did you have any favorite bands to tour with? Actually, BB King was one of my favorite um, uh, moments. Um, obviously, I was, I was, I've always been a huge fan of Chicago blues. I don't, I'm not a blues musician, I can play the blues, but I've always loved the blues. Um, when we were recording my solo album, Edith Godot's, um, we wanted to do a session down at um, Sun Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. So we booked a day at Sun and we drove down, my producer, Michael Freeman and myself and Chuck Troika, the executive producer and Mike Byrne, our tour manager, we drove down to um Memphis and we got in the night the night before and we, we wanted to stop by Sun Studios and just check out the layout of what we we're gonna be uh doing the next day. And um uh, there we called, they said, Well, we're busy right now, there's a thing going on, but we'll be done at eight. So you maybe want to catch get some barbecue and come by uh after we, we, we wrap our, our session. I'm like, okay, so we got some barbecue. And we stopped by eight o'clock at Sun Studios, and it wasn't a traditional recording session that was going on. It was actually a this British documentary filmmaker was doing a documentary on BB King.
4: Oh wow! And so
2: the King set up hmm. middle of Sun Studios. You know, he's got Lucille in his lap, and he's been you know talking and playing with all the cameras and all the lights around him. So we show up just as they're wrapping, they're tearing down the tracks and the lights and he's kind of just kind of sitting dazed in his chair. You know, he's been there all day while they're doing this documentary interview stuff with him. And we come in and kind of respectfully just kind of get a sense of what the room is like. And he sees us and he's like, Oh, you're the, you're the folks that are here tomorrow. Oh, wow. And he's, he's like, pardon me. I'm just, I'm just, this is my first moment to sit and take in the room all day and, I haven't been in this room in, you know, thirty-five years. I I haven't set foot in this room since nineteen fifty-seven. He's like, oh my gosh! I re- I remember the I remember the last night I was in this room, and you can you know how that that you like when you re- relive a memory and you're like seeing it in front of your eyes and you can just describe yeah. or seeing. He yeah. Did, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Did that right. He's like, my my a... remember, BB King was a child star. He had his first hit record at 13, so when Elvis came up on the scene, BB was already an established, you know, hit maker. He I and mean, he was and he wasn't of age, so he had a driver. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. They would he had a driver that driving to and from gigs because he was not of age to drive a car yet. Wow! Um, and oh, gosh, so. He's like I was. I was uh, It was a rainy night, and I was. I was driving home from my show, and uh, I saw there's a light on in the studio. And I said to my driver, <laughs> "Pull over. I want to see what's going on inside tonight, because I hadn't been here in a while. I made some records here, but I said there's there's something going on. I want to stop in and say hi. So <laughs> I come in and and uh, oh, the piano wasn't there. The piano was over there. The piano was there, and there was a lamp by it. Yeah, and Elvis and, and Carl Perkins were at the piano and I came, I hadn't see Elvis in a, a couple of months then because he was starting to take off and he'd been busy and I, I, I'd I, always kind of, you know, given him advice and stuff. So I went over and Carl was playing some, one of his new songs on the piano and he was showing Elvis his new song. Um, it might have been Blue Suede Shoes, I'm not sure, but he'd just written this new song and he was showing Elvis. And then I was asking them how their shows were, and they were talking to me. And, and he's like detailing this whole like line of telling the line. And then Elvis said, oh, how, how, how is that girl you've been seeing from, from Spencer? I was dating a girl from Spencer. And I was, how is she doing? She's a cutie. I was like, oh, I haven't seen her in a while. But there's plenty of girls out there. And Carl goes, oh, I know there's plenty of girls out there. And we're talking. And he's just relaying this whole conversation. Uh, oh, that's great. And then he comes and he, comes and he goes, I am so sorry. How selfish of me. You are here as a working man to 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 get the lay of the land of the studio, and here I am just filling your ear with a bunch of blabber. Goes, I, it's so disrespectful. I'm, so, I'm so sorry. It's, we're like, oh, 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 we're not worthy.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and <laughs> I'll let you I'll let you do the work you need to do and and just I just i hope you have a blessed session tomorrow. you know I'm going to be thinking about you and I really hope you have a a, a an amazing re- recording session here. There's a lot of good memories in this room for me, and I hope you can make some good memories tomorrow <laughs> And then we're like that is so
0: oh my god oh that's
1: fantastic that oh, is wow. so that is so awesome well, oh my gosh. Now, Here's the crazy
2: that's thing. that's wonderful. Here's the- um, I didn't see him again until the Bad Examples got the chance to open for him at the Cubby Bear in Chicago, probably. Who's the band at the time? Two or three years later.
4: Oh, I wow! Oh, that's cool.
2: A couple of years later, we have a, a show opening for him, and I'm just thrilled to be on the same stage with him. You know, I'm just thrilled to be there. Of
0: course. Mm-hmm.
2: And um, so you know, we get there, and he's he's sound checking, and. You know, sitting in his chair around the stage and because he was getting getting up in years and they sound check and then we're trying to politely, we're waiting for them to get their stuff off and waiting on the side of the stage so we can set ourselves up in front, trying to be as you know, respectful and polite as we can with uh, you know with them. And he stands up and he sees me from across the stage and he goes, Ruh.
0: Oh, my
2: God. <laughs> oh, oh, my God.
3: oh my God.
2: Walking across the room, you know, and just wraps his arms around me. He goes, Ralph. He's like, Ralph, I was oh hoping I was... How did the session go?
0: Oh,
2: oh my God. God. He remembered me and remembered the freaking sessions. I remember. How was your session at Sun? I've always wondered... It was such a pleasure meeting you, and I've oh. I've been, been keeping an eye on you, and it's so good that you're here today. I'm so grateful that we get to share the stage with you.
4: We're like, uh. oh. <laughs>
2: we're grateful to say the same with you. He said, like, well then everybody's gonna be happy.
0: Oh man! Uh. That,
1: oh my gosh!
0: That's that is great. That's
1: amazing. That, that, oh my
0: yeah
3: so, 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 out of, so out of curiosity how did that recording session of sun go <laughs> I'm
4: curious
2: um, an interesting thing about that room and it's why i think one of the reasons why records that are made there sound so good is the um, the shape of the room okay you, you, there's a thing for the for the listeners that don't have a studio experience there's a thing called a compressor a compressor is um Something that limits the peaks of how loud the sound gets. So when you know when you guys are making your podcast, when we're doing stuff in the studio, mm-hmm. if there's an instrument that or, a vo- or you know somebody speaking where they go, their voice gets really loud, then really gets qu- really quiet. You want to make it so that's kind of a, s- a similar volume level, and you do mm-hmm. that by compress, call it put running it through a compressor that kind of narrows the frequency, the the vo- the that that it narrows the dynamic range so that it's, you can then raise the level to where you want it without it getting too loud or too quiet, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things about the the sun the studio, the live room at Sun Studios, is it's shaped with the ceiling sloping up and the something to do with the size of the room and the way that it's built, the room kind of acts as a natural compressor, right? I found, I found that it did it for me. So that when I was singing in it, I could, um, the the sound of the room, when I was performing in it with my uh, acoustic guitar and vocal, the sound and the way that the sound filled the room and came back to me within it, helped balance and compress what I was doing so that it made it really easy to record and get good sounding recordings because of the shape and sound of that room. Mm-hmm. So wow. that's kind of t- but as a result of that, it made for a really, really productive songwriting or a really productive session. We'd hoped on on getting, you know, uh four or five songs recorded, and I think we ended up recording 12 or 13 songs that we were really happy with. The- um and we actually, uh, it's interesting on, uh, we we get so many good takes of so many songs, we ended up running out of tape before we ran out of time. So it was a really productive uh, session. And um, a lot of those recordings ended up being some of the ones that we then added overdubs and built on with the Edith Godot's record. Um, Anna Brago and My Dog Has Been Barking and Small Gray Rain. Um, a, a, a lot of my favorite songs off the Edith Godot's record record which was the one we were making at the time ended up being the ones that we'd recorded at sun studios because it just it was such a magical experience recording in that room
1: wow yeah
2: and they told us to have a good session so we damn well better have
0: (laughs) yeah of course
2: right right (laughs)
0: definitely so now currently with the uh bad examples you've uh done some live streaming shows can you Kind of talk a bit about that and when those shows kind of take place.
2: Yeah. So um, a couple, maybe a week or so into the COVID shutdown, I was feeling um, pretty at loose ends. Um, and as we as we, as we all were, right? The thought struck me, I can't be alone in this feeling of uh, drifting, of being unmoored um and so i started doing uh some live streaming shows i think the first one were, were like ralph's world focused um i would do some shows in the morning of ralph's world stuff um and then i started adding some evening shows of, of bad examples and ralph covert stuff um for i did it for two reasons one because i felt like people probably would appreciate having something consistent that they could go to, right? Mm-hmm. And sec, it scared the shit out of me the idea of doing it. And I've always been a big believer that if if I'm if I can step out of my comfort zone, then there's probably something good to be discovered. And the idea of like just broadcasting, singing songs with nobody there in the room, but to my phone. <laughs> um mm-hmm. It's kind of it's scared that scared the shit out of me, and I'm like, well, if this is scaring me, then I should do it to see what it what 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 lies on the other side of that.
0: To kind of challenge yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The ways I I try to challenge myself if something if something puts me out of my comfort zone, I kind of make a point of trying it. Right. Um, And so I started doing it, and it it really became an important community. It was really transformational for me. And uh, you know, at, at the peak of it, there are thousands of people watching, and there's still it. It goes on to this day. It's a smaller core group, but it's it, you know, uh, it made a real difference in people's lives. And it was interesting too because the early staycation shows, people wanted to hear hear the hits, right? Then, as mm-hmm. they, after they've been hearing the hits, then they started because I, I would let the audience. Uh, I early on started letting the audience pick the songs. I, I, for me if i was like i didn't want to be i wanted it to be an equal conversation i didn't want it to be me being hey here i am here's my <laughs> I <to> be like <laughs> here we all are you know what do you guys want to hear what do you want and yeah. um so the audience would pick the songs so early on it was um which, which actually that kind of came from a thing i, I started doing about 10 years before I would do a thing once a month at this club, Fitzgerald's called the Acoustic Army, where I would, I was trying to have that same idea of reinventing what it meant to be a band and be a musician. And the Acoustic Army was, I would encourage the audience members to bring musical instruments if they wanted. The audience members picked the songs. If the audience members wanted to come play along with me, they could, if they wanted to sit at their table and play along with me, they could. If they just wanted to sit they could. So it was it was like an attempt at it at, at, at kind of reinventing what it meant to be a live musician in that inclusive mm-hmm. way. So I kind of added that audience picking thing to the what became known as my stay, staycation shows is what I called the ended up calling the, the streaming shows. So um, initially, people wanted the um, all the hits, but then as they kind of as they're getting the hits. And then they started wanting the, the, the deep album cuts, you know, the, the songs on the albums that, that weren't the hits. And then they started yeah. wanting the songs unreleased that you know that never made it onto an album. And then they started um, uh, wanting new songs. <laughs> so it was really great. As time went on, it was, became a, a, a great reason to be writing and sharing new music. And, and I was singing and playing every day, right? Two times a day when I was doing the Ralph's World stuff in the morning. Um, And of course, as we know that it wasn't just a couple of months, it just went on and on and on and on. So by the time COVID got done, my guitar playing and my songwriting and my, 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 I added like five or six notes to the top of my vocal range. Wow. My guitar playing and, you know, bass playing is far better than it's ever been in my entire career. Um, And found this great community of people all across the country that I'm still in close contact with. And, you know, because of they're always clamoring for new songs I've, the last couple of years i've written so many songs and it's been a really great creative journey so the the, the exi- i stream the bad examples shows live as part of just that ongoing ethos and idea of sharing it with the people that are you know coast to coast that are part of that community
1: awesome nice awesome long,
0: awesome
2: long answer but a, <laughs>
0: probably
3: no, no worries. It's fine. We, fine. we I can, can accept relate.
0: long
2: answers.
0: Yes, we, we long can. answers are good. You know, it's good to yeah. You know, yeah.
3: No, I can it's I can probably. absolutely relate as well. I can relate yeah. to all that.
2: Of course, <laughs> Wait what? I what? said then down to yes, <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> simply yes, <laughs>
2: yes.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah I can I can absolutely relate to that as well. because um, drink there. I also do streams. I've been doing streaming now for I guess almost 3 years now and I've I've also created like a community of wonderful people and
0: Oh yeah, it's, it's a great community. Wonderful,
1: yes, a wonderful, oh, wonderful gosh
0: yeah because he because matt matt's years. matt's uh in the, in the puppetry community and he does oh, really? a, he does a lot of yep, instagram lives too. with a few of his puppetry groups yep, yep been
3: doing yep been doing that almost three years now we hit our third anniversary of our show in early may
2: so oh, okay.
0: yeah yeah and a lot
2: of fun with puppetry stuff with the uh doing the TV treehouse stuff
0: oh but yeah also- right yeah
2: yeah mm-hmm Yep. Yeah, yeah yep.
0: and we and we've and with the podcast we've interviewed a lot of we've interviewed a few of his puppetry friends. We've also interviewed a mm-hmm. lot of uh the puppeteers mm-hmm. who are like well known on like Sesame Street, puppets. Mm-hmm. So and some, and
3: some and some children's entertainers as well.
0: Yeah, so we've interviewed uh, a, we've interviewed a lot of people in that circle. Yeah, yeah
1: a, lot of, a lot of people but, in that circle. Yeah, like 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 for example, Lloyd Berkner, Dan Kayo Zane's. Yep. Um Genevieve,
2: yeah, Genevieve is great. I love her. Dan's a oh, dear, she was
1: amazing. Party. Oh my
2: gosh, back before either of us took off, yeah, oh, wow. Claudia. Huh. You know.
0: Oh, yeah, Claudia, yeah, Claudia is great. Oh, yeah, yeah, we,
2: amazing. we got the pilot for the uh, um, uh, for the, TV, the original pilot for TV Treehouse. We had Jim Krupa and uh, oh. A oh pan wow. Uh, what's her name? That's uh, Kermit's right arm. She was she was Ronnie, and Jim was Beauregard on the original pilot. So great to Pam, work with that caliber.
0: Pam Arciero.
3: Yeah. Okay. So 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 moving on to Ralph's world. How did that start
2: up? Well, in the nineties, I had started um, teaching some songwriting classes at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago, um, and. Then when my daughter Fiona was born, the gal who's in charge of the, they have a program called Wiggle Worms. It's like a mom and tots classes. The gal in charge of that asked if I would be interested in doing Wiggle Worm classes. I, of course, know that I had no interest. Um, And she said, well, try it out. Um, Tell you what, you can bring your daughter with you and just consider it a way to get paid to have play days and meet other parents. And I was like, okay, I can try that. Because uh, normally you couldn't bring your kids to classes, but she kind of twisted my arm on it. Um, no, I recommend to do that. Right. I found I really enjoyed it. But then when I found out that her secret um, plan had been, <laughs> <laughs> but Jackie, Jackie Russell is this gal's name, Jackie, um, hired me to be a wiggle worms teacher she was that she was the head of the of the of the children's programming and wiggle worms there at the school and she was sick to death of it because it was kind of just the same old stuff and the same old boring old nursery rhyme crap
4: mm-hmm.
2: and this was like 85 or 95 96 and um what she did was she hired me to be a wiggle worms instructor and then she started going around to all the top singer-songwriters around Chicago, and wow. saying, "Hey, do you want to do you want to come and teach Wiggle Worms classes?" And they would—they were, were all like, "What? No, <laughs> I'm an yeah. indie rock. Uh, yeah, I can. I'm a major folk artist. I'm a—I'm a singer-songwriter." And then she'd go, "Oh yeah, but Ralph Covert is doing it," and they go, "Oh, Ralph Covert's doing it?" oh well maybe i should check it out then so she used my name as the bait and she, she confessed this to me years later she used my name as the hook to change over their entire faculty of the people doing the wiggle Worms class. classes so she got like you know rob rob newhouse is rob elvis of the elvis brothers she got uh people that were on bloodshot records she got people that went on um uh, a, a friend of mine uh, who, who went on to write with um, Madonna and uh uh Farrell and people like that in LA uh, as a song. Oh he got people like that to be um Julie Frost is her name, uh to be teaching wiggle worm classes. Because by by leveraging my name, say because like, I you know the bad example we were the biggest act in town. We were very, very popular. So if I was doing it, then people are like, "Well, I, if Ralph Covert's doing it, okay, I, I should try it."
4: Yeah, <laughs>
1: like, like if she like only mentioned a Wiggle Worm classes, they'd be like, "What?" But if they but if she mentioned your name, be like, "Oh, oh, little, oh, okay. oh, okay, okay." I think I think I think I
2: think I will do that.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I, I started doing the Wiggle Worm classes, and I found I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed kind of the environment, but for me. I, I wasn't approaching it and I wasn't approaching it like like any of her other um teachers were. I wasn't doing, you know, Well McDonald had a farm. I was doing, you know, if this like there's I was playing rock and roll. I would do the kids are all right by the who, because it, it talks about kids, right? Right. The kids yeah. are all right, I like yeah. the kids are. Um, or I would do uh uh this one little boy wanted songs about songs about spiders. So I played Z Stardust and the Spider from Mars. A spider. <laughs> and I'd be, you know, I'd be, be uh, standing on my chair and pl- singing and playing at the top of my lungs and just having a, oh. And <laughs> you know? hmm. remember I was, was sent to the principal office from kindergarten through high school. Um, so I was no, when day she come to me in the hall? And she's like, um, Ralph, I understand you've been like doing things like playing David Bowie songs in your Middle classes and i'm like you know what? she's, she's gonna fire me like it i said yes i have she's like excellent that's why i hired you <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh that's wonderful oh my gosh <laughs>
2: but as a result i was just i was making <laughs> having fun with the moms having fun with the kids it was just just having i was just having rock and roll fun. i wasn't trying to be a kids musician i was just being myself goofing off and i'm naturally a songwriter first so i started up making up songs that we could do together right like Mm -hmm. the coffee my famous Ralph world songs m o m m y need c o f f e e i come into one of my classes what my routine was i had three classes in the morning i had a a two to three year old class then a one to two year old class and then a a six months to one year class something like that anyway so i i do the the morning class i do the first class and then i would zip down to the corner to the starbucks to buy myself a cup of coffee and then i'd nurse the cup of coffee over the next two classes that way i could do three classes in a row and the caffeine would be in the middle and kind of arch me over right right so I'd zip down to starbucks after the first class and get back just in time for the second class and i did that one day and this particular group of moms we're all shall we say having a morning all of their kids in this particular class these kids were pistols and they were just the moms were were uniformly frazzled <laughs> and i walk in the room with my cup of coffee and this one mom looks at me um and she said ralph it's not fair you've got coffee we've got kids and no coffee the least the least you could do is sing us a goddamn coffee song. <laughs> 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 and, I, and, I'm like, uh, and I made up the, the coffee song on the top of my head right there. The, <laughs> I was like, M uh, O M M Y needs C O F F E E D A D D Y Need C O F. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh.
0: Uh, well.
2: So then um, at a certain point, a fella comes into the class, it's the dad of one of the boys I've had, and is it's a guy named Jim Powers who ran uh, Chicago's Minty Fresh um, Records, a kind of a hip indie label that had had a lot of success in the 90s with um, bands like Veruca Salt and the Aluminum Group and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, kind of a hipster label. And he said, Ralph, I didn't know you were Brendan's music teacher. His wife was sick with the flu, so he brought their son in. I said, Jim, I didn't know Brendan was your son. He said, we should have breakfast, have a lunch sometime, and, and talk about stuff. I said, sure. Because I'm thinking I want to get, maybe I can put the bad examples out on Minty Fresh. I'm like, I could have a conversation with you. And he goes, we, do you want to put out a kid's record? And I said, no. <laughs> 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 I said, I have no interest in in, in, in no, no, no. putting out a crappy kids record. They're just not, they're, they're not interesting. He's like, well, what would you be interested in doing for kids? I'm like, I would be, I would be, I said, I would be interested in making a great album that kids loved, but not a kid's album. And he goes, oh my God, you just cracked the code. So that's what we set out to do. Not make a kid's record with Ralph's World, but to make a great album that, that kids loved. And I, from doing my Wigworms classes, I, I had a real strong sense because I was I was basically workshopping songs, you know, every morning with these moms and kids. When you're when you're playing a new song in front of 10 moms and 10 one or two year olds, you know, in about five seconds, if they're if you have their attention or if you don't. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. so my goal every day when I was going to bring new songs into Wiggle Worms, like, what do I need to do with writing this song so that all 10 kids are engaged and all 10 moms are engaged? If I can hold the attention of 10 kids and 10 moms for, you know, 50 minutes straight, then it makes my it made my life a lot easier. If I couldn't hold their attention, then Kids are getting distracted and they're getting getting cranky. The moms are getting bored, they're talking to each other, they're getting annoyed. I don't want that. I like, I like, I like being liked. So for me, it was a challenge. What can I do in this class? So the 10 kids and that I have time.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's how I learned to kind of the same thing with the examples at clubs. How do I keep this audience connected, engaged for three hours? Because what what a show audience wanted to go right? Same thing with the Wigworms class. And so that's what we did with the album. It was like we I said, okay, let's have uh, great. I'll, I can bring great songs. I'm experienced in the studio. Let's get the best players in the city, musicians. Let's go to a great recording studio and work with the best people there. And let's approach this like an indie rock record. And then let's let's not release it like a kid's record. Let's read you know indie rock. I know indie rock. Let's release this like an indie rock record. Let's do press like it's an indie rock record. Let's tour like it's an indie rock record. You know, back then kids' artists weren't doing in-store appearances, like Borders and things. That was in indie rock thing. Kids artists didn't do that. So, but we, we called up Borders and we said, you know, we wanna do in-store appearances in Borders, like the way we do these indie rock things. So I did like probably, you know, over the over the course of the years, four or 500 Borders in stores, back when there wasn't Borders.
4: Oh yeah. Similarly. Oh, my gosh.
2: You know, similarly, because, um, you know, with, with with Indie Rock, you were in Tower Records, you were in Borders, you were in Rolling Stone, you were, you know, you you, you were doing in-stores to get, to help the stores sell the, 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 the records and the CDs and to get in front of and make new fans. Oh, yeah. And then the other thing we did is we, we called up rock clubs and we said, what are you doing at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday? Nothing. Let's do a full band rock show for kids gonna have juice boxes for the for the for the toddlers bloody marys and beers for the parents and we'll come in and we'll rock for from 11 to 12 and we'll so that's what we did and and every single club that we talked to had never done that before and we talked we would talk it, it would be successful and they would set up they would start doing it every you know every week it became a thing so we really approached kids music as if it was the world we knew and no one had ever done that before and no one had ever tried to make kids music that now they I mean there's a word for it now kindy music right but that wasn't mm-hmm. a, early 2000s it didn't exist um and then you know i started do, I, I was doing it and then folks like dan and Lori found out about it and they started following in my footsteps with it and it it just became a thing and then now there's hundreds of artists all around the country oh, yeah. who do it and It's, 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 and in fact, it's this, I think it's the only way people can think of doing it now.
0: Yeah, I think so too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right?
2: Crazy. I mean, the fact that what we did, we completely transformed a genre of music from being one thing to being another thing. It's just cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, so similarly, do you have any favorite children's song, songs you performed?
2: Well... Well, one of the things that we did with with the Ralph's World Records is we were constantly pushing the the limit on what was considered could be considered a kid song. Um, and if I think if you if you dig through the catalog on Spotify or something, you can hear some examples of that, um, like the song "The Amazing Adventures of Kid Astro" off of the album of the same title. It's like Queen meets Paul McCartney. It's like Bohemian Rhapsody meets Live and Let Die. You know, it's this yeah. piece of gigantic uh uh bombastic uh pop, <laughs> right? Or you look at the song like um I don't wanna off of the green gorilla album. That's it's it's a straight ahead Sex Pistols punk song. You know, so we we were uh we had a lot of fun, or we like when we did this song surfing in my imagination, we we found uh, on the Beach Boys, there's a, there, we, we, we got access to the multi-tracks of some of the Beach Boys recordings, and we literally went in and listened to how they stacked their harmonies so that we could then go in the studio and stack the harmonies in the same way and also use the same type reverbs and compression effects that they did so that our song would actually, from a studio context, be true to the music just as I was, you know, I'm singing a surf song, but what can we do to, to honor, you know, the, the, the all the elements that work. So, um, you know, I'm really, I mean, I, I have so many favorite songs across. I, I love the, the, my, my, probably my favorite albums are, I love the rhyming circus album. I think that oh, yeah, was a yeah.
0: That's a good one.
2: Oh, and yeah. I really, proud of the of time machine guitar which is my last album. Um there's some stuff on there like uh, gato negro which is like an afro cuban thing with congas and jazz horns that's oh,
4: okay.
2: really really fun. Uh one of my favorites on the on the time machine guitar is there's a song called Beethoven's horse. And um one th- a cool fact that not a lot of people know is that Mozart and Haydn, the, the two famous Romantic composers, uh, Amadeus Mozart and Joseph Haydn, were best friends.
0: Okay. Wow, interesting. They were best mm. friends.
2: Wow. They um, invented. They invented the string quartet. They were the first people. T- they 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 invented the string quartet um, because they loved getting. They would get together every Sunday afternoon. Uh, after the church stuff that that they had any obligations for things that they composed or were conducting. Sunday afternoons and evenings, every week, Haydn, Mozart, and two other friends of theirs that were um, Viennese composers would get together and play string, play violin and violoncello together for fun and drink wine. So Haydn and Mozart wrote their string quartets to play with their friends. It was, it was, a, it was for the, they literally, they, they invented the, 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 the cello, viola, two violins, because that's what their four friends had played. <laughs> so they could get together yeah. and they would, they would write string quartets so they could get together and play them together. So, um, and Beethoven actually moved to Vienna because he, he really wanted to study composition with Mozart. So these three major figures have this deep connection together. And a connection to the string quartet, so I wrote the song Beethoven's Horse. Um, it's kind of a simple story song. The first verse: Mozart and Haydn are walking down the street, and um, uh, 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 Haydn says, "Oh, I, I wrote a new, I wrote a new, I wrote a new string quartet. I wrote a new piece." And Haydn says, "Oh, let me hear it." And so then the first interlude of the song is. Uh, that same melody of the verse, but arranged as a Haydn string quartet. And then the second verse, Mozart says, Oh, because Mozart was like he loved jamming, he loved like improvising. Mozart says, Oh, that's really cool. Can I can I try it? Can I play around with it? And and, and Haydn says, Yeah, I stole Beethoven's horse and I got I have his piano on it. And Haydn says, ta- Mozart says, Oh, then <laughs> Mozart up on the on the horse and plays like uh, the second musical interlude is structured like a Mozart, uh, like a Mozart uh, used to the same melody, but evolving, so it sounds like a piece that Mozart would have composed. And then the third verse, Beethoven comes running out going, somebody stole my horse. (laughs) And and Haydn says, uh, and Haydn was a practical joker, so he probably would have stolen Beethoven's horse. He he was a uh, Haydn was was loved practical jokes and Mozart loved poop humor, so these were like real highbrow guys. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so uh, Haydn says, "Oh, I've got you, I've got I've got your your horse here with a piano on it. Why don't you jump up and play us something?" So then the third musical interlude is the same melody. But done in the style of a Beethoven piano concerto. So over the course of the song, you hear the same verse melody, um, uh, as as Haydn would have played it, as Mozart would have would have as where classical music where Mozart took the music to as a composer, and then where Beethoven took it. So, you know, kind of showing the history of music within the piece of music.
1: Nice. So that's a nice awesome so-
2: Always trying to find ways to kind of what can you do in music that that, that, that no one's ever done. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, um, now of course we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, but um, how how did it feel for uh, your songs to be a part of a Playhouse Disney for several years? Because you know that was, you know that was such a big kids network.
2: Yeah, no, it th- was it was it was great um the, the people that i worked with at disney were wonderful um, they were not mm. a great company when it came to building and developing things they were much more, they were much better at harvesting things
4: mm. they're
2: better at, at at once the big spigot of money in the wall turns on they're really good at filling up filling up the buckets and moving it over to the trough but they weren't they weren't as good say as minty fresh was at the mechanics of turning on the spigot
4: mm.
2: Uh, I think because they were so used to anything. Here, here's, a, here's a, So that was the disappointment with it is that 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 I that it it didn't it didn't go to the next level from there. But the other piece with that too is um, right around that time nationally, kids' music changed uh, to becoming more more about appealing to tweens. Mm. Um, and so I think that may have been a factor as well. You know, there's, it's a whole different kids music for four to six year olds or five to eight year olds or three to eight year olds is different than kids music for eight to 12 year olds.
4: You know, right? Yeah.
2: And so on the Disney channel and Nickelodeon, there's things shifted up. And then on the, on the, 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 the stuff like that they're getting the biggest I think it also kind of shifted down to the really baby stuff. Mm. So it kind of left what I was doing in the middle that was connecting. Uh didn't didn't it kind of grew away from that middle zone. Mm. I think. It was great. I was great working with the Disney folks. Um but you know, I, I um and it was great being on the channel and a lot of great opportunities came. You know, uh first ever national House of Blues kids tour uh worked you know with Kellogg's rice krispies uh that was really um uh but then the the, kind of the and we're things were really still building and growing the thing that really kind of knocked things off the track was um rhyming circus came out um i guess the summer of 2008 or 2009 and Disney really was, they were really, they really put a lot of weight behind it. They had, it booked like a hundred show tour, me, Dan Zane's Imagination Movers. They might yes, be which we
1: also, um, which we also previously interviewed Scott Durbin, one of the members
2: of Imagination Movers. Yeah, yeah. So this was their first big tour. Um, mm-hmm. The, But it was the summer that the economy collapsed, the summer right before the economy collapsed.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah. that spring... Literally, it was it was on track to be the biggest touring summer in the history of the music business. And by mid-June, tour after tour after tour was just shutting down and going home because of lack of ticket sales. And nobody knew why. But then that fall, all of a sudden, everybody knew why when the economy just went. <laughs> but it was like kind of that summer's touring schedule was like, you know, when there's a rainstorm and that cold front comes in right before it. And then you know it's going to rain. That's oh, what yeah. that, that that's what that summer was like. At the time, it made no sense, you know. And for the for the Playhouse Disney tour that we had that we were a part of, you know, they had nearly a hundred shows booked coast to coast. And after the first two cities of the tour, they shut the whole thing down, except for the very last show at the end of the tour in the fall so that you know we ended up playing like nine shows out of a hundred and that was going to be that was the big push for rhyming circus was that big tour that was the central big part of their marketing for that album so rhyming circus kind of was one of those albums that got um fell victim to the um the vagaries of the market which is a pity because I, I think it's a great album. Hmm. Uh, and then and then um but I continue to be with Disney and have good relations with them. And then I got the opportunity to do the the potty dance um yeah. uh, for yes. Huggies. And that. that was going to be debuted on Nickelodeon. Okay. Which
0: wow.
2: which is at that point. Uh, Disney was in breach of my, of, of our contract because they, they had not given me uh budget for a new album so I called up David Agnew who was the who had signed me and who's my close confidant there and told him about the opportunity actually he he, I, he had flown into town he brought his wife and uh son to see um, uh a production of The hundred Dresses, one of my kids musicals so so David and Paula and Edison had come in and joined us to to go see, um, hundred dresses, and then he and I went out record shopping, to, went to vinyl stores all over Chicago, and then we had lunch. and I told him about the um, opportunity to do the huggy dance, the potty dance,
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, but the wrinkle with Nickelodeon. He's like, "Yeah, if you should do that, uh, you can't do that if you remain on Disney because of the because of it debuting on Nickelodeon." So we said on Monday, when you get, when I get back to LA, shoot me a note uh, informing me that that Disney is in is in, in breach of our contract, which we are, which which is fine, we know that. Mm-hmm. And then you can I can release you from your contract with with no penalty to you. Um, so that's what we did on Monday. Um, uh, I sent him a note, and he he released me from the contract so that I could. Um, do the potty dance. And then the crazy thing was that Friday, and this was a complete surprise to everybody. That Friday was the day that they fired the head of Disney
4: Ooh,
0: and
2: hired Bob Iger.
0: Okay, wow. Oh wow. They they fired their,
2: their their they fired whoever was there and hired Bob Iger. The first thing Bob Iger did, the very first thing he did when he took over was fire my friend David Agnew because David was so popular and so uh, uh, known for pursuing whatever he thought was right that Iger, Iger didn't want him on the team. So the first thing he did that I that Bob Iger did was fire David Agnew. Um, and oh. so then our note said, geez, David, sorry, if, I, if I'd have known that, that, that letting me go was going to cost you your job, I would have stayed as long as you needed me. which is a joke right (laughs) right but um, so that was really lucky timing that um because who knows you know i would have i wouldn't have had a voice inside the organization if i'd waited a week
1: right yeah
4: definitely and then
2: the interesting thing that happened a few years after that was I i got a call from david and he said um you ever wanted did you ever want ever have the dream of um owning your your catalog because disney had purchased the entire minty fresh catalog um when uh when when they signed me so they owned the the first seven albums and then all the stuff i did with disney they own every disney owned everything and they'd done all the videos and all the work that they broadcast on the channel and they'd asked for a piece of the publishing. It was a 360 deal. And he said, did you ever dream of having your catalog back? I'm like, yeah, next time. But they they, they bought it for a million bucks and they put another million bucks into it, you know, with the videos and everything else. I said, yeah, you know, next time I get a couple million dollars, I'm gonna call you first. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, no, he goes, the way it works with Disney is once they, once they determine that something is um, no longer generating profits, the business, the, the business manager has the opportunity to sell it off and get 10% of whatever he sells it for as a bonus. Okay. I said, okay. He said, well, Chip is the, um, Chip is his business manager. I mentored him. I was business manager before he was. I mentored him. And he's 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 the business manager there now. He's like, and I would love to kick his ass in a negotiation. Do I have your permission to do so?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so he went in um, as a tr- as a true friend, and um, was able to negotiate me purchasing my entire catalog, videos and master tapes, and publishing and artwork and everything. He was able to purchase it, have negotiate for me to purchase it back from Disney at a fraction of what they put into it. So it was um, a really uh, tremendous act of friendship um, that that he did. Um, you know, and he signed me because he believed in what I did. And so I have no regrets of my time with Disney. I wish things would have gone farther with them but like, you, like yeah. you wish
0: you would have gotten to do more with that. i
2: wish i would have gotten to do more and i wish we would have been able to really blow it up to be even bigger mm. yeah. um uh but it you know um but certainly they, they were the people the people the human beings in that office were were some of the kindest nicest uh mm-hmm. great folk uh uh-huh.
1: mm-hmm. nice that's nice. awesome also like since you like you mentioned do the pyre dance song, I wanna uh, mention a couple of other song. songs. Yeah, great <laughs> song. Now, there are other songs that um that we actually listened before we done this interview. We actually it, no it was the the circus and um the animal friends and with the friend, aka the, the poo song. Yeah.
2: Which I, yeah. I wrote that for oh I wrote that for the oh I tell you, I'll tell you a story about that. Tell your thing first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh yeah, th- th- yeah, those are great songs. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, of course.
2: Um interesting, interesting Disney story. Um when cool. they signed, uh one of the first things they asked me to do was write the with a friend the the Pooh song because Winnie the Pooh was getting his star on Hollywood Boulevard and they were re-releasing the Winnie the Pooh movie to theater. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's why they had me write the song so they could play it. For the for the unveiling of the star, and then have it special for the 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 movie coming out and you know being re-released to theaters. Mm-hmm. So it was my first thing with them, and I wanted to um, really show them they made a smart decision. So I, I went back to the same studio that I had recorded the Ralph's World albums at, with from Intifresh. I hired all the same musicians. And you know people that I'd known for years, all these folks I'd worked with for years. I'm like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to give them a new song that's going to sound just like the stuff, and be another great song that sounds just like the stuff that they have on the records, right? They fell in love. Oh, with. Right. So we go in and we do that session, and then the studio and all the musicians and we, my, my my recording budget had been negotiated with disney based on what i paid for making all these records i knew what it cost to make these records because i'd sat down with minty fresh and we'd, we'd mapped it out you know i was i was hands-on roll up my shirt sleeves because i i would run i put out the bad example stuff on my own label back in the 90s you didn't do that right that was before the whole diy thing happened nobody mm-hmm. made their own records but that with a bad example. That's what we did. My, a good friend of mine had been national sales manager for Alligator Records, the Chicago blues label. And he'd always wanted no. to have his label. And I was able to sign a record deal with a European record label, but keep all the rights to America. And so then I took their recording advance and I borrowed some money from my dad and we'd been working on bad is beautiful. In the recording in the studio, making that album, just paying for it ourselves, and then all of a sudden we had this European record deal, with it with an advance, and then we started Waterdog Records in America. Through Jay, there was a fellow named Bert Goldstein who had a national independent distribution company. Nobody had ever done that before, but Bert wanted to do it, so we were we were able to in the early '90s, in 1991 we were able to release our records nationally without having a major label releasing the album, which again, back then you could not do that, but we found a way to do it. So I had been with the bad examples. I had been very hands on running a record label. So when I signed with Minty Fresh, um, one of the things I said to Jim was like, I'm not just some artist. I'm not some flaky artist. I know how this works, let's sit down and roll our sleeves up together and and, and do this work. Consider me an asset, not a rival. So when I, so I knew when I sat down with Disney, I knew all the numbers, I knew uh, everything, be able to have to speak a business conversation with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Recorded with a friend, the Pusan, and the recording studio, and every single musician, people that I've been working with for years, gave me their bill afterwards. It was triple what I'd been paying them. Wow! And I was like, What? 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 am I missing? And they're they're like, Oh, this is our major label rate. <laughs> and I'm like, What? Before you <laughs> indie artist, now you're on a major label. This is what major label artists pay for the same work so i I literally called up David Agnew, and I said, "We've got a problem. I can't afford to make you the album I promised you because all of our budgets were based on what I've been paying for years. And what you know what we started calling the the Disney discount, as soon as I was on a major label, everybody charged me more for stuff they've been doing for years, you know it was my the studio rate went from six fifty to two thousand dollars a day.
0: Wow, that's crazy.
2: It was crazy. So, but what I said to David was, my solution is I said, can I take the money that you gave me to record this next album, which is going to be a Rhyming Circus? I said, can I take that money and take? You know, I had kind of a uh, kind of a really lo-fi, good enough for doing demos studio here at, at Waterdog. I said, can I invest that money in the gear I need to have a studio that I could make a record at? And David Agnew said, I don't care. I hired you because I trust you, and you know what you're doing. You want to spend the money on building your own studio? Build your own studio. I don't care. I know whatever you give me is going to be great. So that's what we did with Rhyming Circus, is we... I took the money that was supposed to be going to other studios, and I bought the gear so I could do the record here. So, in that sense, we became fully DIY, but another example of of, of the way that, you know, David Agnew and the folks at Disney were willing to say, you know, put complete faith in me and say, okay. But but, you know, with with, with a friend was the victim of the the Disney discount. most expensive song I ever recorded for Ralph's World. <laughs>
0: uh, that's, <laughs> fun. that's funny. That's <laughs> funny.
3: That is funny. Mm-hmm. So you've done some other work for Disney as well, especially partnering partnering with Disney's English Language Learning Program. Can you talk about that a little bit, what it is and what you've done
2: for it? Yeah, that was an amazing opportunity. Um, it And they don't exist anymore but disney had an initiative where they built brick and mortar schools in china to teach english
0: oh wow cool oh. that's cool People
2: had like 70 or 80 schools 70 or 80 locations across the country they were teaching thousands and thousands of chinese kids english um and it was a very uh brilliant Music driven curriculum. A gal named Julie Blor uh, ran it. Um, she's working for one of the audiophile, um, uh, sense around audio companies now. She's a brilliant lady. Uh, she might make it for an interesting interview. Um, so the because kids, if they love a song, they learn the song really easily. Their whole concept of the program was our curriculum will be baked into this into songs and the kids will come into the classroom they will learn the songs and they'll sing the songs and play to the songs and then those songs will have the vocabulary and the speech um, structure and all the things that are in that lesson will be in the in the, the lyrics of the song and then they would partner those songs with um, Disney animated content from from the films um, and various Disney assets. Um, so uh, I got the job to write. Genevieve did some of those as well. Uh, I composed oh, nice. hmm. about um, um, 80 songs, composed, wow. recorded, and produced uh, about Eighty or 90, eighty or ninety songs. I don't even know how many.
1: Oh my um, gosh!
2: And they would literally—they'd give me a brief. They'd give me them. They might give me. they might give me eight songs to be written, eight briefs, and like one might be uh, these vocabulary words, this sentence structure. It might have to be: Is this a ball? This is a ball. Where is my ball? Here is my ball. Whatever it might be. This is the sentence structure. This is the vocabulary. These are the previous lessons that we're building on that you can draw from if you want. and in a lot of cases, and we're going to use um, animation from uh, Sleeping Beauty with it. So if you can if you can tie either the style of the music or the something into Sleeping Beauty, you know, mm-hmm. that would be nice. Um, or one song, where did this song is gonna be, have Toy Story animation, so we want it to sound like a Randy Newman song. Yeah. So then I would write demos of the songs, I send them off to Julie and her team, and in most cases they've signed off, sometimes they say, no, adjust this, change that, and then they send them back, and then I'd have, you know, I'd have a week to write these eight songs, and then I'd have two weeks to um, produce them and mix them, and uh, send them in for any last-minute changes or tweaks, and then make those adjustments in the, in the in the in the in the final week, and then deliver. So it was a month turnaround. They'd give me say six songs or ten songs or eight songs or twelve songs, and then I'd have like a month to Write them, re- record them, produce them, mix them, and make any changes or rewrites that they needed. So it was a, it was very um intense. It was a great challenge. Certainly it fell into my uh if it scares the shit out of me, I ought to do it, philosophy.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, and it's something certainly um, you know, is the kind of skill set that I think a lot of people uh It, it took a lot of different skill sets to be able to pull that off mm-hmm. you know that's a yeah. lot of, write and record in very little time
1: oh my gosh yes if I, if I, so
2: but that uh, was a lot of oh so yeah we did like like I said probably 90 songs over that couple of years nice, nice 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 and then they would then they would use them and they would use them in the classrooms in all these just you know teaching kids English in China.
4: there's
2: uh, there's a few that are on on the internet because they were used as part of a license for like a French or Italian initiative so there's some of them that you can see on the internet still nice and uh, yeah they're great
1: (laughs) nice (laughs) awesome
2: so Steve Gerlach is a guy who plays played guitar on the bad examples played a lot of those sessions and he he does the, the some of my, my, my current shows I do with string quartet, I do, Steve plays guitar and in front of my name, Michael Hartigan plays piano. But Steve, like sometimes, sometimes one of those songs are well played, he's like, I have no memory of that. <laughs> we did so many songs <laughs> a period of time. He'll be like, it, is that me on that? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sounds like me. Oh my gosh, no way. I have no memory of this.
4: <laughs>
2: that's pretty cool. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, so, well. so aside from Disney touring with Ralph's World, do you have any favorite touring locations?
2: Um, boy. Um, you know, the, I love, I love the big, the big shows and the little shows are both fun. You know, I've played all the big music festivals. I played Lollapalooza. Austin city limits, pilgrimage in Nashville. Um, I played at New York Central Park. I played with the, you know, different symphony orchestras. Um, I'm I'll be back. I played at Ravinia here in Chicago, lad. I'll be back there this summer. That's wonderful. Ravinia is one of these big nice. you know, music festivals. I'm there Saturday, June twenty fourth.
1: Oh, cool. so oh, now that's no, no, like two days. That's like two days before my birthday, because my birthday is actually the twenty sixth.
2: That was my mom's birthday. Hey. Oh, wow. oh that's cool. wow. <laughs> wow.
0: That's cool. Wow.
2: That's
4: cool.
0: That's cool.
2: Wow. Um, but then I also love, like I do a lot of library shows. I'm a real big believer and supporter of early reading stuff. So I love doing, you know, intimate shows in libraries. They kind of remind me of the wiggle worm days. And I love getting mm-hmm. you know, close and personal with kids and getting them bouncing off the walls and having fun. <laughs> so, I love the big shows. I the little shows you know uh the, doing the shows with symphony orchestra was fun and crazy because you know again
4: <laughs>
2: uh i like finding like one what i do. i my my friend michael helped me uh, do this but uh one of the things i did with this symphony orchestra show was i took the song happy lemons and if this is available online too i think the dupage symphony version is live on 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 youtube um i did a thing mm-hmm. where Uh, I played Happy Lemons with the orchestra and then I challenged the conductor to a um, kind of a battle of the bands where I challenge and it's of course it's pre-arranged and pre-written right but I'm like Mm -hmm. yeah you guys think you're pretty good but can you play can you play Happy Lemons as if it was a a Bach fugue (laughs) and she's like oh we can do this and then then, then the, the orchestra plays Happy Lemons in the Bach fugue. Then I'm like, oh, that was pretty good, but can you do it like Stravinsky? <laughs> <laughs> so just try to like, you know, um, again, doing something that that just seems impossible or seems crazy and silly. You know, I'm up there in front of a symphony or- orchestra doing a battle of the bands with the, with the orchestra. <laughs> you know, that's just fun.
0: Yeah. Oh wow. Mm. <laughs>
2: so that's available out there.
3: That's cool. Nice. That's cool. I'd nice. love to, to check it out.
2: Yeah. Um Real as well. Yep. Yep. Wonderful. And then, so um, and did I still do Ralph's World stuff. I still do bad example stuff. And then the third thing I do um is these shows with Steve Gerlach on guitar, my friend Michael Hardigan on piano both of them singing. And then with a string quartet. Oh, nice. So those are oh. really, those are just, it's such a great uh, palette of colors to work with. Awesome. And I, oh, my yeah. most of those, if you, it's, it's sideways, you'll have to lock your screen if you want to turn it with not get a headache because Facebook glitched, but it's on my Ralph covert music, my at Ralph covert music, Facebook page, where I broadcast my staycation show still. Um, you can see me with um, Mike and Steve and string quartet to get a taste of that. Nice. Just, last weekend.
4: Nice. Two, two, two.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
4: Very cool.
3: So aside from recording and performing, you created the Ralph's World TV Treehouse uh, Concert yeah. Series. Uh, yes. How did that come about?
2: Well, it... it um... One of one of the things, one of my mottos when COVID started was uh, full pivot forward because uh, everything that we had been able to do we couldn't do. So I'm like, well, what can I do different? So one of the one of the things that I came up with was um, I'd started doing the playcation and staycation shows. A a a company that managed malls asked me if I would do record them a couple of those that they could broadcast in the malls. And I said, I'll do you one better because I've got this, you, you you can see here, I'm on the TV Treehouse set here at Waterdog, which stepping back in 2011 and 12, we shot the pilot for the for the Time Machine Guitar TV series. We got all the way to, um, we showcased it at the, at the American Public Television uh, Conference. We pitched it at the Disney Nickelodeon, the big, the commercial networks they didn't want it but we public television was interested we pitched it at the at the apt conference uh we we had a public television nationwide was going to pick it up we had the scripts written working with pam and jim and um we're ready to shoot our first season less than a month before the first day of shooting the producer that uh was providing the financing for it uh they having nothing to do with us but having to do with another project they were involved with they went belly up so less than a month before shooting uh the the time machine guitar tv series for public television we had to cancel so uh but as a result of that i had you know i I have the set built have all the puppets. So when this mall company, and we tried, I had tried doing stuff through the years, like how can I use these assets to do something? I'll try videos, I'll try stuff. But we couldn't find a way to do it that was cost effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I've been doing the playcation and staycation shows and this mall company said, we'd like three, you know, 40 minute episodes of you singing a, playing acoustic like you do on playcation. I said, well, how about I do you one better? I'll do it with my puppets on the set. (laughs) And they're like, sure, that's fine. Whatever you wanna do, we're gonna pay you to to do this. And you can, we want three 40 minute things of you singing. If you wanna add puppets, cool, even better. So we did it, Um, but it was very low-fi. Me and then at the time, my 11 year old son, Jude, he he operated the puppet for Ronnie that Pam had done, and then my audio oh, yeah. engineer Jonathan Pollock, he ran sound, set up the camera, and then ran the puppets for Beauregard and Malcolm. Oh, nice! And so literally, we made this 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 these three three, three episodes for this mall company for with with an eleven year old and an audio engineer and me, because it was COVID, you couldn't have people around, right? We didn't have any choice. The the mall company realized, um, and this was the first spring of COVID, so we made these for them in April, and when I called up in May and said, do you want us to make some more episodes, they said, no, no, Uh, we've talked to our team, and COVID's going to pass. Everyone's going to be back 100% by the beginning of June, so we don't need any more. Let me say this again. The first spring of COVID, May 1st, they're like, it's going to be done by the end of May, Wow. Mm. Uh, wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Wrong.
1: Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, yeah
4: way wrong.
2: I, I normally would do um, um, I normally would do a, the, the library touring. Right?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: None of the libraries could do library events. So I started calling up these libraries that I'd been doing live events for and said, I said, I've I made these me playing acoustic with puppets. Would you would this be of interest for you to share virtually with your patrons? So then I started making the shows for the libraries that I'd been playing live shows for. So that's when we started doing more. So we kept with we we kept doing those. We did those to sell those to the libraries to help them out because they didn't have any content. So that's when we started doing those. and then, and then we got, and then um, uh, that's for the TV Treehouse series. And then as we did it, we just fi- figured out more and more how to do it and got better and better at it. And, um, um, and then I had an opportunity that didn't pan out, but we had an opportunity to have um, a small network was going to, wanted to broadcast them. And so we edited them all down to consistent network size and added enough new episodes so that we had a full 24 episodes, uh, but then that deal fell through, so we uh-huh. ended up four network-length episodes that we then put on YouTube. But it was a, what an amazing journey that was. I mean, we start when we first started, we had no clue, and by the end of it, you know, I got a thing this last Thanksgiving, uh, of all people, Viacom, same people that have Nickelodeon oh Wyatt. my
1: gosh yeah
2: and said we want to um we want to could would you do an episode that we can share for our employees for our virtual holiday party
1: oh <laughs> so wow wow Wow!
2: i finally made a show for nickelodeon but for the kids yeah. And parents <laughs>
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but it was amazing because you know we had done all of the shows we made
4: mm-hmm.
2: it's like it was weird because it's like wow we know exactly how to do this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> cool. You know, we did it. I wrote it. We shot it. It was like, bam, bam, bam. It was like, dang, mm-hmm. how to make a TV show. <laughs> so.
0: Oh, that's cool.
2: Yeah, it was a fun a fun journey and I respect you guys as puppeteers. It's really an amazing art form.
0: Thank you. Oh, yes, yes.
3: Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's wonderful.
0: Definitely. Yes. So where can people find it? The TV Treehouse series.
2: It's on my um, on my YouTube channel at Ralph's World video. Nice. So find yeah, a nice. music. Awesome. If you That's Google nice. Treehouse, it'll be it's there.
0: Nice. So I know, yeah, so, awesome. I know, so so I I uh we're we're getting we're getting close to r- wrapping up, but, uh, um we we gotta we got a couple more questions, but I will say this has definitely been fun so far. Very yes. fun okay. chat. Yeah, and, and I know you also just recently did an interview with one of our good friends, uh, DJ Bob Brunkel. Yes,
4: the
0: DJ Bob show. Yes, oh uh, he, he, yes,
1: he, he is he is such a great, great guy. He, yeah,
2: he,
0: and he helps out as a producer on our podcast too. Like he helps us. Yep.
2: Nice people help. Mm. Well, that's the way
0: it goes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Bob's great. I've known him for almost seven years now. So we, we go we go back a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: we go back a bit.
3: That's awesome yep yeah he's he's wonderful absolutely wonderful yeah and,
0: and Matt is actually uh, executive producer on his show oh nice yep.
4: yeah
0: yeah I've
3: I've been doing I've been executive producer now for I think since late December I think early January I think I've been executive producer of that and it's 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 very fun I enjoy it a lot Bob is just wonderful
2: yeah yeah a yeah, blast.
3: Great guy to work with. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah Great guy to work with. Definitely. So, overall, what do you enjoy most about your work in the music business?
2: I, oh, I, well, the, other thing, the other thing you guys can check out is I was going to say songwriting. I love, I love, I love, because I'm, I'm the same kid I was in, in second grade. I, I, you know, my job is I create things. <laughs> I love writing songs and recording them and sharing them and playing them. I love my staycation shows. I love doing this stuff with the string quartet. I love rocking with the full bad examples. I was gonna say, I've, I did a Ted talk a few years ago on songwriting and I think it's got a million and a half views now.
0: Wow. Wow. So oh, that's, that's cool.
2: Kind of fun. Oh, huh? um, uh, and you know, songwriting probably is at the core of what I do, you know, if there's, if, if there's a pure pure core to what I do, it's it's songwriting. Um, but I love, you know, I love all the pieces. I just, I love being creative and I love changing the world one song at a time. You know, if I can make a difference with my music, make somebody's life a little better, have a song that connects to somebody when they're sad or scared or inspire somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. I've heard many people that are adults now who were inspired to become musicians because of, you know, Ralph's World music as a kid.
4: Aww. I,
2: I Aww. hear, them, like, it makes me grateful for that opportunity. Um, and another thing that, I, that I've heard again and again, the, the, I I'm told by people who work with autistic kids that autistic kids seem to particularly connect with my music. There's something about the way that it's not dumbed down that I'm told from teachers that work with autistic kids, that it that they um, I've heard dozens of stories of, of of kids that were nonverbal and weren't able to engage, and the conduit that they broke through and became social and, in, and and verbal and able to connect was through my music. They would fall in love with the music, start singing it, and then find their voice as a, as a person through that and you hear stories like that and it just i can't yes. even deeply it humbles me oh i'm starting to choke up as i say it because it's like that Aww. matters, you know mm-hmm. We're saying the bad examples we don't care about award shows we don't care about hit records but if you're singing our song while you're doing the dishes um or if you're if it, if it matters in your if you fall in love with somebody be sharing one of our songs, that matters, you know, where nice. is it? So that's that was always the rubric we applied with the bad examples. And I, I stand by that. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Oh, that's, 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 that's wonderful. Wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. So besides being a musician and singer songwriter, you've also co-written a few plays in musicals. Can you talk a bit about those?
2: Yeah, um, a friend of mine, Gary Mills, was in a theater company called the Dog Boys uh, in the 90s. They they were a really amazing theater group. They made all the sound effects of their show were done by the cast members on stage. It was a very intense form of theater. And I went to see them, and I fell in love with their work. And then Gary and I started writing plays together, and we ended up writing uh, Streeterville, And which is about a true Chicago guy who uh, created 180 acres by running his ship aground. (laughs) It's an amazing story. And then we also wrote a play called Sawdust and Spangles about a real-life circus pioneer. Wow. So we wrote those two plays. They both won Best New Work of the Year the year they came out. And then when Ralph's World took off, we started getting commissions, people wanting us to write children's musicals. And so we wrote a bunch of musicals, which have... um, some of them are made into picture books. Some of them are still produced and performed today. Our version of uh, Eleanor Estes' young adult novel *The Hundred Dresses* um, ran off Broadway. Um, so, just you know, it was, and again, uh, playwriting and acting was something I always loved. And then to, to collaborate with an, a playwright as talented as is, is Gary, is, 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 you know, is a it was always a joy, and again, it scared the shit out of me. So why not? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, again, like like yeah. I said earlier, you know, it's good to challenge yourself. You know, mm-hmm. do yeah, things you that are yourself, you know
1: better with something, and, and like you, know,
0: you said, you know, it's good to do things you know sometimes that are out of your comfort zone. To kind yeah, of, you know, do things differently.
1: And, and then more if you keep doing, it, you know, you, you'll be getting you're used to it, and you know, and you can probably be in your comfort zone after that, you know. <laughs> Yeah. In
2: one of my songs there's a line if you're not failing you're probably not trying <laughs> a lot of people are, are afraid of failing and i'm like well failing is a good sign <laughs>
4: right
2: yeah yeah
1: To exactly. keep on getting better it's, it's not like where oh I, I i fail on this like no failing is you know it's a part of you know tr- being successful successful you know yeah. so it's yes yeah, you no know. so I'm um, working in the music industry. What are some of the biggest challenges you say you faced in the field?
2: Oh, it's just there's just uh, getting noticed, and and I, just, just having remembering that that what you do, you know that that kind of bad examples philosophy. Living that right, you know mm-hmm. the idea that you know if you don't have a hit record or if you're not playing for hundred thousand people or if you're not you know that that's not what you measure it by and so just remembering to, to remembering to do it for the right reasons oh, do the the due diligence of, of, the, of the business stuff and you try to do it right but you can't judge yourself by it so that's probably the hardest part
4: is, Yeah,
2: you know accepting that it is what it is
4: mm-hmm. and
2: being grateful for, you know, where you are.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So now what piece of advice would you give to anyone who wants to get into music and singing?
2: I would say... You don't do it because you want to do it. You don't. You only do it because if you try to do anything else, you'll be miserable. That's the only reason to do it is because... You can't not do it. Mm. And just, and just, I guess the one piece of advice I would, give, you need to give it your all, right? Oh, um, yeah. The, a friend of mine and her son actually plays oboe with us in, in, in the string quartet, these acoustic shows. You'll see him on stage if you watch that video. Hmm. But when he was in, getting close to the end of high school and trying to figure out what he wanted to do college he really wanted to just study oboe mm-hmm. and my his mom and dad are friends of mine and she called me up and she goes I, I don't know what to tell my, my family is giving me so much pressure about what what's his backup plan what, what do I tell them what do I tell them what's his backup plan I, I they just won't shut up I'm getting so much peer pressure from you know parents and siblings and friends I don't I don't know what I'm 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 feeling like I'm losing my ability to, to to give my son what he needs. What should I tell him? What 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 should we do? And I said, "Well,
4: yeah."
2: I said, I said, well, "What is his what is his current plan?" He's like, "Well, his current his current plan is he wants to be an oboe player in a symphony. That's his dream, his goal. And with him for a backup plan, maybe teaching or maybe, you know, uh um Maybe uh some kind of a, a a corporate or accounting job. He likes numbers, so maybe he could do something like that to pay the rent. We're trying to figure out what how do you structure the the the, the main plan and the backup plan? I said, you're looking at it all wrong. I said, tell him that I said his first plan should not be to be a, a you know a professional musician in a symphony. His first plan should be to be the number one call, best ever oboe soloist in the history of music. His backup plan should be to be a professional oboist in her symphony.
0: Wow. Oh, my
2: gosh. <laughs> wow. So, and I told her that. And she's like, oh, my God. It made sense. Oh <laughs> if she told him that. And they said, now we have a plan and we have a backup plan. And that's what they told their family from then on. They said, this is his plan. This is his backup plan. Oh, wow, that's great. And they had the, and he's awesome. approached it with that attitude. I mean, he's he's amazing.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
2: So that would be my advice kind of would be kind of thinking, thinking of it in that mm-hmm. kind of.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: And there's, Very you nice. know, and there's also, you know, if there's, if that's what you know, really want to do, then go for it, you know, just do so, it. Yeah.
2: But do it, but and but set don't don't under don't under challenge yourself.
4: Right, right. Yeah. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Was not giving him the true lift he needed.
0: Right. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely.
3: Yeah. So turning the tables. What's the best piece of advice that you have received as a musician and singer songwriter?
2: Um, I think It's not really advice, but I think um, a combination of three things of my parents' example. Um, My dad, who's still alive at 94, bless him, uh, engineer and tremendously organized and tremendously high expectations for himself I internalized that my mom was an artist. And so I, I grew up just watching her constantly creating, constantly challenging herself, constantly th- having her, her in the house being creative all the time. seemed like the most natural thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that combined with my youngest sister who was uh, mosaic down syndrome and my parents, my entire life were fighting to get her mainstreamed back before that was a thing. Like every school after school, she'd be the first kid that was ever mainstreamed in that school Mm. and they move and then they'd go through the battle again. And, um, you know, watching them advocate for her and fight for her and, and never, and never quit. Right. Um, taught me about that aspect that's that's something that aspect of 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 of, of absolute ferocity of intent i learned from that experience with nancy and my parents and somehow all out of all that like i said from a very early age my personality was such that um i don't know i just was that that second grade kid from that first story you know just wanting to be creative so my biggest advice to me wasn't so much a piece of advice but it was kind of the the bigger advice of those shaping experiences i think if i had to be really reflective about it
0: nice nice so for fans of um for fans of the bad examples in uh ralph's world are there any words you'd like to say to uh the people who have supported your work over the years
2: thank you for being amazing i have the The best fans wow. in the world. They are amazing human beings. I, I'm gr- grateful. The kind of people that seem attracted to my music are uniformly amazing. I'm grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. I was I was doing it. We talked about record store in stores. I was doing an in-store at the Virgin Records in Chicago years ago. And uh, it was a Ralph's World show. Yeah. And one of the things they used to do at the in-stores is they would give you uh they wouldn't pay you but they give you a gift certificate for some CDs
4: right
2: you get thirty dollars worth of, of of CDs so I'm like looking through the CDs after the show and um uh the guy next to me elbows me and kind of bumps me it's Billy Corgan from Smashing pumpkins oh wow uh, we, oh, we wow. samples and the pumpkins were on the scene at the same time so we knew each other okay. And Billy, he's just he's just there shopping. He just stopped by the shop and happened to watch the, the Ralph's World show.
4: Hmm.
2: And Matt Walker, who is played, replaced Jimmy Chamberlain in the Pumpkins and does all the programming for Billy's solo records, Matt played on all the Ralph's World records. Wow. Small, small community, right? So we knew a lot of people. Oh, yeah. we're anyway, world, so, too. <laughs> Billy knew the Ralph's World stuff before the first Ralph's World album came out because Matt would play in my demos of the first album. He played Billy the Rouse World before it was released. Wow. So anyway, but but Billy's there and he elbows me. He's like, like, yeah, he's like, your fans are still better than my fans. My fans suck. They just (laughs) lose and they look like they want to, like they're so depressed, they want to kill yourself themselves. Your fans, they still dance and smile. My fans suck. I love your fans.
0: <laughs> uh, that's great. Oh
2: my gosh. And I, said, uh, what, I said, your fans sure love you, and you got a few million more than I do. He's like, there's that. I'm not complaining. Anyway, good to see you today. What you buying? I'm buying this. Oh, cool. This is what I'm buying.
3: <laughs> oh, <wow.
0: laughs>
3: uh, so if people want to connect. If people would like to connect with you, where can people find you or your work?
2: Uh, RalphCovert.com, Ralph'sWorld.com. Uh, these days, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I do uh, uh, my staycation shows on Twitch, 8 p.m. Central, uh, twitch.tv slash RalphCovert. And um, on Facebook Live, I do Wednesdays and Fridays um, at, at RalphCovert Music. And there's hundreds and hundreds of shows on that page from the last couple of years, so people can dig back into the archives. So. Nice. awesome. What service they listen to? I'm there.
1: Yeah, nice, and, nice. And your and your and on Your social media being description down below, so people can yes. check it out and follow you and, and everything.
0: Yes. Yeah. So since we're about to ra- ra- since we're about to wrap up, uh, Jake, why don't you take us take us home with the last question? Yes, Which we ask at the end of all of our interviews. So mm-hmm. Yes, we sure
1: do. So, of course, you know this podcast is called Jake's Hyper Nostalgia Show. When you think of nostalgia, what do you think of, or how you, you how would you define your own words of how you define the word
2: nostalgia? Oh, um, I would say art, music. Mm-hmm shows whatever form of art it is painting that uh remind you of times when you were happy and ways to connect the person you are now with those the dreams and aspirations of the person you were then oh yeah that's for sure great great words
0: great words Awesome. Well, Ra- Ralph, thank you so much. This is a blast.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. yes. Right. Thank you, And Thank you so much. You know, for being on and and thank you for you know for what you've done, being part of our lives, and keep up your great work and see what's next for you, Ralph.
2: I'm looking forward to whatever comes next. It's going to be exciting. And awesome. uh, all continued success and happiness to you guys. Appreciate the.
1: Yes. All- yes. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it.
0: Yes. Awesome. For me, as an avid Playhouse Disney watcher, you know, I grew up. You know watching your music videos, so this was I'm glad that we were able to do this.
4: Oh,
1: that's yes.
0: awesome!
1: Now yeah. and, and now we can say that we're and like we're friends, and like the same with Bob as well.
0: Yep. Yes, yes, of course. of course. Well, um, and to all of our viewers and listeners, this brings a, another wonderful Jake's Happiness How Show interview to a close. We've absolutely yes. enjoyed our time with Ralph Covert.
1: Yes, thank you again, Ralph. Appreciate
4: you you. here.
2: And stop stop by staycation anytime if you do because if you do watch a staycation show make sure you pop into the comments and say hi because the folks there are nice funny people and and they would love to, to say hi <laughs> and you can come on the, the show and you know just come on and say hi oh,
1: nice. awesome nice we, 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 we won't do that more than we'll do we'll that.
4: that yeah bob
2: we'll is, that. He's, he's, he's watched a few and he's like hey it's me bob hey bob <laughs> <laughs>
4: hey, Bob. Hey, Bob.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And they'd be like, Oh, hey, uh, uh, Jay or Chris. We'll you yeah. will absolutely do that.
2: I would like nice. you to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, that's awesome. Well, well, uh from all of us to all of you, thanks for tuning to another interview. And remember yes. to keep nostalgia alive. Bye bye. Yes, okay. I want to
1: see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye. Take care. Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep nostalgia alive. Bye bye.